Good morning. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians 4 is where we'll be this morning. I took a philosophy course in seminary, uh, and I loved it because everyone just argued. Because you never knew what answer was correct, right? Now, if you don't know this about me, I can be somewhat contrarian if the mood hits me just right. And I can, um, so I, I, I might actually not believe in something, but I can argue as if I do. And it drives um, people crazy, especially my wife. It's what also made me really, really good at speech and debate um, throughout my uh, school journey. But, but in my class, the topic of, of absolute truth came up. And it was amazing to me to hear so many people not believe that there is an absolute truth. The, the definition of absolute truth says that it is whatever is always valid regardless of parameters or context. So a square always has four equal sides. Not all relationships will lead to marriage. We are all going to die. The Chicago Bears will not win the Super Bowl this year. Those are all absolute truths. One can't deny the existence of absolute truth because they are there. And when you argue that they aren't, you, you, you come across as foolish. So with that in mind, let's look at our passage this morning. We're going to read verses 20 through 24. Paul says, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So if, if you were to scan the, the rest of this letter, you, you will notice that Paul does something different here in verse 21. When he re, is referring to Jesus... In all the other references that Paul has made about Jesus in this letter, he refers to him as Christ, as Lord, as, as some combination of those words. But here he just simply refers to him by the name given to him at his birth. He doesn't refer to Christ Jesus. He doesn't refer to him as Lord. It's simply Jesus. I think the point that Paul is trying to make here is that Jesus is truth. By using the name Jesus, without referring to him by the titles of Lord or Christ, Paul is referring to the historical Jesus as God in the flesh. So, so when Paul refers to the truth that is in Jesus, he is proclaiming that the sinless spotless life that Jesus lived while he was here on this earth is the demonstration of the truth that resided in him. We tend to think of truth as a concept or truth as a principle, but the Bible is clear that truth is a person. The truth is Jesus. John says in his book in chapter 1, And the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He goes on a few verses later in 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
Abraham Lincoln was having a discussion with somebody, and he asked, how many legs does a cow have? Four, of course, was the answer. That's right, Lincoln agreed. Now, suppose you call the cow's tail a leg. How many legs would the cow have then? The man answered five, confidently. Lincoln said, now that's where you're wrong. Calling a cow's tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. Now, there's a belief system out there called omnism. It's a belief that all that no religion is truth, but the truth is found in all of them. So you kind of sprinkle a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of Islam, and maybe a little dash of whatever makes sense to you, and you call that truth, and you base your entire eternal destiny on that. You hear things like, Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus wasn't born of a virgin. Jesus didn't actually die. He just fell into a deep sleep. We, we receive forgiveness by doing good works and being a good person. Those are things we hear all the time in, in our culture because they don't want to believe that Jesus is truth. So what happens a lot of times is we, is we take Jesus... And we believe some of the things he says about himself. And then we add on some religious behavior because we have to do something to earn it. Or we have Jesus, but, but then our culture says that, that this particular sin, whatever it is, is now okay and needs to be accepted. Or you don't really love Jesus and, and, and so many people fall for it. Jesus says in John 14 that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. But our friend is a universalist, and they're a really good person, and they have a really good family. And so we begin to believe that we will see them in heaven one day. We have to come to terms with what absolute truth is. Because John 8 says that if we abide in his word, we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. He isn't talking about consuming knowledge. He isn't about doing more Bible studies. Knowledge isn't going to set you free, because a few verses later in chapter 8, Jesus said it is the Son that sets you free. The Son is truth. The truth is the only thing that can set you free. Do you want peace? The truth is the only thing that can set you free. Do you want to overcome anxiety? You need Jesus. Do you want a better marriage? You need the truth. Do you want to find healing? You need Jesus. Do you want to overcome uh, that particular sin that you've been carrying around for years? You need the truth. Do you want to have purpose in your life? You need Jesus. Now, those two things are not different. They are the same. Jesus is the truth, and the truth is Jesus. It's an absolute truth. If you've not learned that today about Christ, hear that today. Because as Paul goes through this thing, he even says, I'm assuming that you have heard it and were taught in him. I didn't, I didn't want to assume this morning. 
Because it's, it's very highly probable that you have heard some sort of Christianity that's not actually accurate. Jesus cannot be a supplemental to what you have going on. It's not Jesus and a self-help book. It's not Jesus and life recovery. It's not Jesus and some counseling. It's not Jesus and worship music. It is Jesus and then everything else is supplemental. If we were to take Jesus out of the equation, in anything we do here, we might continue to function. We might look somewhat like a church, but there isn't going to be any purpose behind it. We, we might be doing what others consider good things, but, but that's all it's going to be, good things. Without Jesus, Bible studies are just consuming knowledge. Without Jesus, our worship service is just singing songs. Without Jesus, praying is just you talking to yourself, making people think you've lost your mind. Jesus has to be the focus of everything because he is the truth. Now, we don't have time to go into great detail. But in Numbers chapter 21, God tells Moses to, to put a bronze serpent on a pole. Weird, right? It says that if they were ever to be bitten by a serpent... They were to look upon the serpent on the pole in order to live. Later on in John chapter 3, Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever looks up and believes in Jesus, they will have eternal life. Now, when you get bitten by sin, bitten by circumstances, bitten by temptation... Look up to Jesus. That is the truth. If we look down and think that the answer is in a book, if we look down and think the answer is in a relationship, think that the answer is in church attendance, you will not live. Life is in the truth, which is Jesus. So now that we've stated that, we can now move on. Because once you understand that Jesus is truth, we, we have to take off our old self. Th this is not the only place in his writings that, that, that Paul uses the picture of taking something off that, that we no longer want to characterize our lives by and, and to put something new on that is consistent with our new life in Jesus. In Romans 13, Paul writes, The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. In Colossians chapter 3, he, he tells us to put off our old self and put on our new self. Hebrews says it as well. Let us let aside everything that entangles us. Peter says it as well. The, the word Paul uses here for putting off it is a word that was used to describe runners in the Olympic Games who, who would literally cast off all their clothes and run nearly naked in the stadium. And, and, and what are we to do? What We are to cast off. We are to lay aside. 
everything that corresponds with our former way of life. All the things that Paul has previously written about in this letter, the, the futile thinking, the spiritual ignorance, the hardness of hearts, the lack of shame, and continual lust for more sin. Now, whenever I'm around old friends, especially from, uh, from high school, there, there's always a conversation that goes something like, I can't believe you're a dad. <laughs> and then they go into this long list of things that I used to do that I would not want my children to follow my example in. When I got married and, and when I began having children... There were some behaviors that had to stop or Cena would have left me and taken my children with her. I mean, it's part of the growing up process, right? The same is true when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. When we understand the truth of who he is, when we understand that he is the truth, we have to stop living the way we used to live. Paul has already spoken about the, the, the futile way of living. Our, our former self does not focus on the desires of God. Our former self focuses on our own desires. Jesus points this out in Matthew 12. He says in verse 43, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. Jesus pointed out that it was not enough simply to get rid of the evil spirit, if that evil spirit was not replaced with something else, it would return with its buddies, it would fill that vacated space, and the final condition would actually be worse than it was before the evil spirit departed. When we lay aside the old man, when we lay aside the old self, we need to make sure that at the very same time, we also put on the new self. Otherwise, the old man has a way of creeping back into our lives in a manner that will, will make our lives even more miserable than they once were. I, I have a friend many of us can probably relate to. He stopped smoking, but, but he was struggling with what to do with the time that he was using, used to using while he was smoking. If he smoked a pack of day, that, that is about an hour and a half of time a day that he spent smoking. Over 10 hours a week. Over 42 hours a month. That is an entire day, every single month, dedicated to smoking. So he stopped smoking, but he filled that time that he used to be smoking with snacking. And gained over 50 pounds in a couple of months. And that caused a whole set of other problems for him. So, so many times we want to take off our old self. But we don't replace it with things that are of God. We, we don't pursue righteousness. We don't spend it serving others. 
We spend it on other desires that we might have. I mean, my life is a perfect example of that. My, my kids, like many of you, keep us pretty busy. We, we get through the gauntlet that is baseball season. So we catch our breath, and we're like, oh, this is so nice. And it gets filled with other things pretty quickly, like plays and basketball and wrestling. If we do not intentionally fill that void, it will automatically be filled with something else. When, when, when Paul writes that, that we are to put on a new man, the word he uses for new is a word that means something that is completely new in quality, something that is far superior to what existed before. Now, in order to put off our old self, Paul says that we have to renew our minds. And we'll see here in a moment the work of being made new is all God's work. But, but we need to give him something to work with. And since the work of renewal occurs in our mind, then it seems pretty clear that, that the material that, that we give God to work with is our thoughts. Let's focus on three specific areas where we need to focus our thoughts. We have to renew our mind with truth. Now, we've already established that Jesus is truth. But this isn't the only place that Paul has this emphasis on focusing our thoughts on the truth. Here's what he wrote in another, in another one of his letters. Philippians 4, he writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Based on what Paul has already written, we could very accurately replace the word truth with Jesus. And paraphrase the verse something like this. Whatever is consistent with Jesus, think about such things. Whatever is consistent with Jesus, think about such things. We spend so much time worrying about th things that don't really matter in the long run. Our minds are filled with anxious thoughts. We, we have temptation running through our heads all the time. And if we don't renew our minds, those things can be overwhelming. We, we don't just stop worrying. We have to think about things that are true. It is a never-ending cycle of replacing thoughts in our head with the truth of who Jesus is. The, the truth that is found in his word. So one step in renewing our mind is to fill it with truth. The, the next step is to think about things that are eternal. Think about things that are eternal. If I want, to, if I want my mind to be made new, I have to focus my thoughts on those things that are eternal. I mean, that's how Paul could face all the problems and persecution he was facing. To die is gain, is what he said. He understood that there is more to life than just the little bit of time that we spend here on this earth. He certainly focused on the eternal in his letter here in the Ephesians. He spent quite a time writing about the spiritual inheritance and about how one day God, through His Son Jesus, is going to bring everything to, together and restore it to its original glory. 
And Jesus certainly taught his followers to focus on the eternal, didn't he? He told them not to worry about food and clothing. How many of us have been worried about food? The cost of food. Our grocery bills through the roof. Jesus tells us not to worry about it. He exhorted them to lay up treasure in heaven. He, he told them not to worry about those who could hurt them physically, but rather to fear those who would destroy their soul. When Paul writes about things above in this passage, he, he seems to use that phrase in a very similar way. He uses the phrase heavenly realms here in Ephesians. As we've discovered, that phrase is, is used not to describe a physical location, but rather to describe those things that operate in the sphere of influence of God. Paul uses that phrase to distinguish the things above from the things of the world. Now, Cena and I have been robbed uh, more times than I can count. We've had a couple cars stolen. We've had our house robbed a couple times. We've had our cars broken into and, and gone through. We have had identity theft and had our bank account drained. Uh, and every time that has happened to us, we're about due for one, actually. <laughs> but every time that's happened to us, there, there's this strange peace that I had. I, I was mad for a moment, but, but then I realized that those things don't really matter. We actually laugh about how often we have been robbed. We, it's like, oh yeah, remember that time we were robbed? I mean, you could even go as far as one time, I, true story, uh, my truck was broken into and, and I had a hard drive on there. And I had, I don't remember at the time, maybe eight years worth of sermons. Just that, that's all that was on that hard drive. So maybe, maybe they plugged that thing in and they've, you know, they, <laughs> they've experienced the goodness of the Lord. I don't know. I don't know. But, but that mindset didn't happen overnight. It, it was a continual reminder that the things on this earth don't matter for us. I, I, I would have gone crazy if I allowed myself to dwell on those things. I mean, I would never use my debit card again. I, I, I would have ha had one of those Tim Allen uh, security systems installed in my house that never functioned correctly. I, I would be constantly living in fear of what is going to be taken next. Instead, every time it happened, I'm reminded, we say it all the time, our treasure's in heaven. More importantly, we have to remember that for our minds to be renewed, God has to do the work. God has to do the work. Although I can provide some material for God to, to work with, the, 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 the work of renewal is not my work, it's God's. When, when Paul writes, be made new in the attitude of your mind... In the spirit of your mind, he's using a passive verb that makes it clear that I'm not the one doing the renewing. It's not my work. Someone else is doing that work in me. But, but even though only God can do the work of renewal, I can either facilitate that process or I can make it harder. 
God's not going to force his way into my life for the purpose of renewing my mind. I have to allow him to have access to my mind so that he can do the renewing. Now, as we've seen, one day, um, one way we do that is to make sure that we put the right stuff in our minds. That, that we start with putting the right stuff in our minds. I, I think the major way we allow God to, to, to work is to spend time with Him in prayer. But it has to be the right kind of prayer. Not, not the kind that views God as some genie in the sky that we go to in order to ask for a bunch of stuff, but rather the kind of prayer where we get away from all of our distractions and we allow God to speak to us, spirit to spirit. Frankly, the purpose of prayer, as we see modeled in the Bible, especially by Jesus, is to allow God to enable us to see things from his perspective. And when we approach prayer with that attitude, God is able to renew our minds. All these verses that we've looked at regarding renewing our minds, include, including our passage here in Ephesians, are written using present tense verbs. By now we know that that means that they indicate continuing action. We, we don't just renew our minds once and then we're done with it. It's a continuous action. The, the process of allowing God to renew my mind is one that will never be completed in my lifetime here on this earth. So I have to stick with it day after day. That's why everybody gets saved at youth camp on Thursday night. Because they haven't spent the rest of the year renewing their mind day after day. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've submitted to him as Lord and Savior, then God's work in you has already rescued you from your former way. But day by day, you're being formed into the image of God. The question for us this morning is, are you willing and ready to put off your old self and allow God to renew our minds? Are you willing to lay aside your former self and allow God to renew our minds? Now, when I say former self, you have an idea of what that looks like. And for each and every one of us, it's probably different. When you hear this passage, when you read this passage, and you see that, frame, that, 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 that phrase, former self, that we need to lay that aside, you know what that is for you. Are you willing to lay that aside? And not just lay it aside and stop doing it, but are you willing to allow God to renew your mind by filling it with something more valuable? I can't answer that question for you. So I'll let you wrestle with that. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we prepare our hearts for communion, that you will reveal to us what we need to put aside. And then, Father, I ask that you will help us walk in obedience.
help us not be a time where we just stop doing certain things because we know it's not right, but help us, help us also fill that void in our hearts. I pray, Father, that you will renew our minds, that, that you will speak to us right here in this place, spirit to spirit. So that we will be made new. I pray, God, that as we take communion, your, your spirit will just move freely in this place. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.